Welcome to the Boardroom Podcast, presented by the Political Action Committee, People for a Better DeSoto County, with your hosts, Chad and Ben. We hope to give you an informative look into local government by having a healthy discussion about city issues, interview a few friends, and have a little fun. All right, welcome to the Boardroom Podcast. I am Ward 6 Alderman Ben Piper. I am uh, Ward 4 Alderman Chad Wicker. What are you doing, Ben? How, how, how uh, I see our last show, I guess it was about two weeks ago, and uh, you want to talk briefly about how we're going to release our episodes so people know. I've got a lot of questions about when uh, our episodes are going to drop and so forth. So that we will typically have a podcast recorded after our board meetings. Our board meetings fall on the first and third Tuesday of each month. So we will record during that week and, and have it released over the over the weekend. Uh, so that way we kind of recap what's going on and we'll also bring on an exciting interview with somebody in local government. Today's interview is with the director of planning for the city of Hernando, Austin Cardozi. So he's going to give us a little bit of insight into what he does, why there are so many Mexican restaurants in Hernando, and why we uh, do some of the things that we we do from a planning perspective here in, in, in Hernando. So it's, it's going to be a great listen. But first off, let's uh, dive into the Board of Alderman meeting from this past Tuesday. Uh, pretty pretty much a pretty straightforward meeting. Um, not a lot that was really, you know, overly controversial or talked about, I think, Chad. But uh, why, don't you, why don't we jump into a few of these things? Yeah, here. I got the agenda here. I mean, it was, uh, I think it was about a what, about 45-minute meeting. Not a whole lot on there. Uh, shout out to Alex, who are doing the pledge uh, from Oak Grove. Alex Elementary. Luck, a dude. Yeah. He, used to, he used to be my neighbor across the street there. And uh, Maggie and John, his parents, are great, great people. So it was good to see him again. But anyway, we had some things in the uh, consent agenda that we a lot of tra- uh, training for some police department, fire department, um, approval of Wagner Engineering for uh, preliminary engineering services on the Nesbitt Square sidewalk project that's coming up, which is, is that your ward, uh, Ben, or is that Natalie there? Right now it's Natalie's. Uh, there, there will be some changes to that with the redistricting coming in March, and I'm not sure exactly who's ward that will be. I think we may actually split part of that, but that's one of the larger things that we're seeing, right, is the development of Old Town Nesbitt a little bit. And there's been people who have invested, you know, a good bit of money and resources into that. You know, the gin is up there that was been rehabilitated. The Nesbitt Industrial Park that's been up there, which is uh, home to a lot of new businesses for the area as well. And you have Winningham Estates, pretty pretty established neighborhood up there that's continuing to get built out. They're, they're, uh, yeah, they're building that out, aren't they? And I saw on 51 there, they're going to have an entrance off of 51, I guess, at some point. Yeah, that's that, that's correct. So that that area has seen you know quite a bit of growth and investment over the years. But what else? What, what uh, I'm just going through the consent agenda. That's all. You, you want to talk about the uh, notorious item J that we moved that you moved out yeah, of the so, uh, yeah. So really quick, we'll touch on that really quickly because we did have you know a couple things there. It is essentially a trip to Washington D.C. with the National League of Cities, uh, which is a nonpartisan uh, you know group that brings city leaders in to discuss you know issues for municipal leaders. And one of the issues I think that that, that I had around it was just when I look at our we, we get handed a packet around once a month that that includes our expense and revenue uh, for the city. And there was something concerning on there for me for uh, the the mayor and the board 
we've we've spent over 60% of our travel budget for the year and we're not even halfway through the year. We have a we have a trip to DC on a congressional blue ribbon trip that's coming up in early May. And so when I saw another trip uh, to DC here in, in late March, I just kind of put that into question. And uh, you know, certainly we want to be good stewards of of taxpayer dollars and you know, just brought that into question. Didn't know if it was really a, a necessary expense or a necessary trip and and would hope to either either reduce the number of people who are going on the trip or try to find a way to make that expense not quite as costly. And one thing that I think is important is, you know, I think you and I voted no on that particular item, and uh, we disagreed with the other five and the mayor, but uh, we all still friends at the end, and we got together. And, uh, yeah, of course. Uh, and, of course. And, and, and so I think that's missing a lot in national politics, national government, and state government sometimes. So it's good to see this, uh, even though we disagree on the issue, to still move forward and, and do what we think is in the best interest of the city of Hernando. So. And there are, uh, you know, certainly – Making trips to Washington D.C. seems like a, a a big, you know, ask of the taxpayers. But you 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 certainly have to have FaceTime with uh, elected leaders in in Washington D.C. to secure funding for your city. Potentially, um, you're not going to be able to just work through congressional staff via email and phone. At, at some point, you you have to kind of go and and make that trip. It's really just a matter of a city our size. Do we need to be making two trips to Washington D.C. within a 45-day period? Personally, I don't. I, I didn't think that was a necessary expense, um, but it but it passed. And you know, certainly everybody has uh, you know different different values on on these things, and that's kind of all that really came down to. Yeah, if you want to go back to the meeting and. Uh Alderman, I keep calling call him Supervisor Alderman Miller. He 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 made a statement of why he was supportive of the of the mayor going there, and maybe some of the other aldermen. So uh, that's certainly the other side of. It. I yeah. think I think we disagree with it, but uh, anyway, we'll move forward with uh, that. Was about it from the consent agenda. So we had a few hires within our personnel docket for sure. <laughs> yeah, we we hired a couple and gave a couple of raise. We had a donation docket. Uh, Justin uh, Johnson donated some money to us to the city for some general animal supplies for probably for our animal shelter that's coming along. Bendy, and this is a question I didn't prepare you for but do you know how we, where we are with our animal shelter i haven't haven't heard anything about it is i think we're pretty close to open that thing up aren't we i think it, it, we have topped out and that and that's you know some terminology for folks who probably may not get into building too often but when you top out the you know the, the roof is done you're really just working on the internal at that point and um you, know, you certainly have to finish the exterior but the interior of the building is you know being worked on we had a video that i think they posted on that yeah, I saw um but yeah it, it has been it has been a uh you know the supply chain is not is not fixed yet. Um, there's still some supply chain issues, I believe, and you know it's it's, it's coming along um, for sure. It has been a you know certainly a costly project. It is a uh, a big investment there uh, that that we made. But one thing I want to tell people with that with that animal shelter is that when City Hall was built 50 years ago, I think it cost around $300 to build City Hall, the the one that we currently meet in. So at that time, it was probably a very large expense. So, you know, currently the, the animal shelter is a large expense. I don't, I don't doubt that it, it is. It was a, it was a budget that I, that I thought was a little, a little high, but it was the best bid that we had at the time. Uh, but this is something that's going to serve our community for decades. 
Uh, so it is a, a large investment on the front end, but over time, it, it helps to kind of pay for itself. There's, you know, certainly humane issues, and I think everybody in Hernando loves animals and that sort of thing. Right, we, we've gotten some, we've gotten some new management there. I think it's been a big improvement there. So, and I think she's trying to work to, you know, cut down some costs where she can, um, and, and secure some more donations. People have been extremely generous. Um, over a hundred thousand dollars, I believe, has been raised for some of the internal equipment and things like that. But I think when you really look at it, uh, it was something that was that that was needed. Is it a perfect project? Um, I don't think anything's a perfect project. We did. We've, I think we've done a, a pretty good job with it. We had a committee that that met really early on because the initial specs on the building it was actually a lot more square footage initially, um, and and that was pared down by the by the committee by the animal shelter committee. They pared that square footage down to try to to bring down the cost of the building and. You know, otherwise it probably would have been, you know, well over a million dollars to build. So we have tried to be good stewards of folks' money from that standpoint. All right. So after that, and, the, and we had some planning issues. I think the first, uh, the, the Wade property was tabled. Mm-hmm. Um, the Delta Landing project was tabled. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll both be, uh, I believe, on the March 7th meeting. And then the next thing was the... Uh, the property uh, west side of Tullahoma Road, north of Green Tea Road, where there was a asking for a rezoning of the property from agricultural to Z, uh, C2. Um, that 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 piece of property, I think, is in your ward, Ben. If you want to talk a little bit about that, yeah. And a lot of that, a lot of that area around there is kind of going towards uh, commercial development. After the development of the field house, there's some potential for other other businesses that are you know somewhat tangential to um, these these travel teams coming in and that sort of thing. The possibility of um, you know, restaurants come into that area so that when these teams do come in um, from out of town, they have something nearby where they can go, you know, whether it's shop or get something to eat or whatever it might be. We'll have to just see what kind of commercial development comes there. But I worked really closely with, you know, the owners of that property and just said, hey, listen, let's let's strike some of these uses out of here. We struck about uh, over 30 percent of the uses in, in the commercial zone away. So things like a you know used car lot or, you know, a plumbing shop or whatever it might be. There's some things that were taken taken out of there to kind of protect um, the resident, the uh, resident owners that are that are in that area as well. I'm, I'm look. I mean, I know some some of the information about that project that's not publicly released yet. I, we can't put it out there, but I'm excited about that project going forward. I think it's going to be a, a good thing for Hernando if it, if it comes to from, uh, fruition. I think they're going to be. I think I asked uh, Mr. Davis at the meeting when they were going to have their kind of master plan, and he said probably he he was hoping maybe 90 days or so. Um, so I, I'd be I'm excited to see that when it does come out. And I think that's one of the big things. One of the reasons why we went and struck those uses is because, you know, you can have the best plan in the world, and then the you know if if you don't have the the investment to get to get uh, that plan executed, then sometimes they do, they don't, they don't come all the way through. So you have to make changes to it, and and you know then you, you want to make sure that the residences, the residents there are protected, so that it doesn't become something that you that you don't want in that area. I think that that piece of property has a chance to be the first. I guess piece of property in Hernando on two sixty nine frontage to be developed. I think is that right? I believe that's I believe that's correct. So it will be something that's um, that's very visible from the interstate. It's a, it's going to be something that that um, will continue kind of the commercial development of the Mackinville corridor as the new Hernando High School is built and more development you know comes to that exit. And and you know I know that sometimes that can be something that that people are not necessarily happy with more development uh, coming to Hernando. And, and sometimes I I can certainly empathize with that and sometimes even agree with them. Uh, but it is certainly 
something that weighs very heavy on us. It's something we have to consider a lot of things before we, uh, you know, move those things forward. And we don't always say, and we don't always say yes on this board as well. Yeah, I think we try to work with the developer to be business friendly, but however, we want to keep our, you know, our town, our, our city the way we like it and why it's so popular, why everybody's moving here, why we're building a nice high school and, and so forth, because we have a great community and we want to kind of maintain that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next three items kind of all go together. There are three pieces of property that um, Joe Frank and Sam Lauderdale own there. I think at one time, this is the, I think their mother piece of property, I think is what he told me. But um, this is the last vacant property there right by Riley Street. They're, they're, they're selling that and may at some point build some homes there. But that, that's the last three things on the planning agenda. Then we uh, had, I think, I thought a very nice discussion about this, uh, the signs that we're looking to do. I think Natalie and, and, and Mayor Johnson and uh, Lee have worked well to develop some uh, some some new signs, update our signs. They did a really great job. I feel like just coming up with a design for that, so that we we have something a little unique for our city. Um, you know, I think the black and white design kind of set it off a little bit and i think one of the first uh streets that's getting one of the new signs is heritage cove here in my, yeah, in my ward they uh the I met with their hoa a while back and, and told them i was getting i would get them a sign because there's theirs is worn out and that's a good arm right I, there that's that's arm working I for said, his people right there yeah, I, pro- I said listen i will get y'all a street sign and i'm sure they're wondering when it's coming but y'all it's coming and it's gonna it's gonna be one of the uh, newest and first of its kind so that'll be exciting and i, I will post um i meant to do this the other day i We'll post on our Facebook page, the Boardroom Podcast on Facebook, a copy of the sample that we have of the signs, and I'll also include it in the notes section of this podcast, so you can take a look at that and let us know if you like it or not. I think it, it looks good. It's something unique. Uh, it's not. It's probably going to take a little while to get throughout the whole city, but any new subdivision yes. uh, will be required to put those in once we approve that at the next meeting. Um, and then something that's, I think, important to you, Ben, and, and me is, is the garbage contract is coming up for renewal. I've had a lot of constituents talk to me about issues with the garbage, mm-hmm. so I uh, think Thank you uh, and I and uh, who's the other alderman that Natalie Lynch. Uh, uh, Alderman Lynch have uh, volunteered to sign sign up for a garbage um, on the garbage contract review committee. I guess uh, that that contract is coming up for uh, renewal and and we'll have to go through the process of bidding it out. But I I really have some issues with our current vendor. They've they've missed a lot of people's recycling and, and garbage and I, I want to get to the bottom of that. If we're going to renew with that company, I want them to answer a lot of questions. Yeah, there's always questions there when when, when a contract comes up for rebid and. Um, you know, I think you have to look at uh, the bigger picture of who are other municipalities using, uh, you know, what's their service rate look like, who's the county using, does it make sense from a business standpoint to to try to partner with the county and, and have similar contracts so that you have, you know, is that the best place for us? So those are all questions that come to mind, um, I think, for anybody that's on that committee and as we, as we move forward. And certainly we've had, uh, you know, there's situations where, you know, trash doesn't get picked up, recycling doesn't get picked up, and it's it's a little bit of a a burden for folks for a week or two. But with um, outside of you know acts of nature or acts of God, where you know there's an ice storm or something like that, it's something that people just sort of expect to kind of run really really smoothly, and that should be kind of the base expectation that things yeah, just run I, smoothly. I mean, I, I, we're me and my wife and my son Reese and my other son Grace, and we're a family of four. So if they don't, if we miss our garbage one week, we're in bad shape. So we uh, we got to make sure the garbage comes and and we you know it's it's just frustrating for people to come home and their garbage is still full and the recycling hadn't been picked up and uh, they feel like they pay for that service. And I, I think going back, we were one of the first cities to go to curbside recycling in the in, in the in the county. So I, I certainly want to keep those services, but we just got to make sure that we're getting our bang for our buck and going forward. So yeah, it's going to be something that we have to. Take a really close look at and and you know hear from our our public works director and you know what kind of data we have on it. 
Well, that kind of wraps up the uh, the Board of Aldermen meeting. Is there anything, any other topics you want to talk about this week before we get into our guest and, and uh, go forward? Well, it's you know, we wanted to uh, give a shout-out to the Hernando High School baseball team. They got their season started, and they're doing uh, pretty well from everything I've heard. And you you used to be a Hernando oh, yeah. baseball I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a baseball alum. Uh, we had a, I played, uh, I guess that had been 2000, 2003 there, and we, we had some great teams uh, come through we there. had some big-name players on that team. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, we had some good teams, and, and, and uh, our, our coach is now the principal, uh, Coach Case, uh, now Principal Case was uh, was our baseball coach back then. We saw him the other day at the Mardi Gras Ball, uh, so it's nice to always, always say hello to him and see him out. And it did seem like the, the Mardi Gras ball was a was a big success for everybody that came out there with the the, the crew of Hernando um, doing their doing their annual event out there at the gym, and I think they had over 500 people um, there. But that's something that that raises money for a lot of people here in this community. And I heard I heard a rumor y'all are going to pay for the interchange out here. <laughs> I don't think we raised that much money, but yeah, that would, that would be a, you know how rumors are. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but no, it was it was a you know a lot of fun out there. So today, given that segue, uh, Austin Cardozi is our is our interview today. We're going to bring him in here uh, in just a second. Uh, but Austin came to us from uh, from the DeSoto County Planning Office, and uh, he has done a pretty pretty great job here uh, in the city of Hernando for us. Um, and so now we're going to go. Uh, bring him in, and here we go. How you doing, everybody? Welcome to our interview portion of the show. This week, we have Austin Cardozi, our planning director for the city of Fernando. Austin, thanks for uh, coming in to see us. Thanks for having me. Ben, what's going on, man? I tell you what, uh, Austin has really been somebody that's, that stepped in in our first couple years here uh, with the city of Hernando and, and taken over a department that's had, you know, some turnover and really been kind of a steady hand. We've put a lot on his plate. And as everybody knows, there's a lot going on with the city of Hernando, especially from a development standpoint. And a lot of that falls on the planning department. So, um, Austin, talk a little bit about your your background a little bit, um, your 60-second biography, if you will, for us. Sure thing, yeah. Um, I grew up in Germantown, Tennessee. I went to University of Tennessee at Martin, got a finance degree in undergrad, and then uh, came back to University of Memphis for my graduate degree in city and regional planning. Um, and a part of that graduate degree, I started an internship with the city of South Haven, 2010-ish. And... Um, that led into a full-time position with the city of Horn Lake. I was a planner there for roughly three years. Then I moved to DeSoto County, county government, and I was their deputy director of planning for about eight years. And then I'm um, coming up on my one-year anniversary with here at the city. Wow, it's already been a year, huh? It's flown by for sure. Um, but yeah, I'm loving it so far. So, so Austin, the, the kind of goal of this show is to inform and, and educate the viewers on how city government works, county government works. And a lot of people don't have a good understanding of planning and development in a city and subdivisions. You know why me and Ben talked last night. We joked about what we're going to talk about today about, you know, the question that I get all the time. I know Ben always gets this is why. Uh, why do we have so many Mexican restaurants in our town or why, sure. you know, why is the development uh, look this way? Why is the, the traffic flow this way? So could you explain? I know there's there's planning principles. and I think there's some new area that the planning is going. Could you talk about, you know, what and why that's the case and what the government role is in planning a city compared to what actually developers do? You know what I mean? If that makes sense. 
Absolutely. So it's, it's a pretty common question, just like you said, is, you know, the Mexican restaurants or why does this street have the traffic it does? And um, the government's goal in planning is uh, we have a zoning ordinance and it shows uh, what's on a basic level, what's commercial, what's residential, you know, what size lots go where, uh, what streets connect and uh, or don't connect. And so the government's role in planning is to regulate a zoning ordinance, uh, the foundation of which is a comprehensive plan which I'm sure we'll talk about here in just a minute. But um, big picture, we've got a comprehensive plan um, that shows where the city's growth is going and how it'll develop in the next 20, 30 years. And that's implemented day to day through our zoning ordinance. And so, you know, I, I do recognize we have lots of Mexican restaurants in Hernando. Um, um, I like Mi Pueblo. That's my, that's my place. So, Shout out Mi Pueblo. Uh, yeah. Free <laughs> ad there. Uh, congratulations on that. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. It's, it's really one of those things where uh, people have to understand that it's not necessarily government's role or its right to decide what businesses come into a market or not. Now, the the role that the the board of aldermen has, and in, in conjunction with your department, is to say, is this uh, an appropriate business district? Is that kind of the way you would put it, or how I would, would you describe it? You know, appropriate business districts is a good probably way to put it because um, differentiating different types of restaurants is one thing. But residential versus commercials are totally different. And so, you know, we do regulate certain uses by zoning district. There are certain uses in C1 that are not in C2. Um, but, you know, we base those decisions on traffic patterns and expected how large of a building they may, may need. And so um, definitely not on the business by business type of a scale. So you mentioned the comprehensive plan earlier. When was the last time we did our comprehensive plan in the city that we're, we're working off of now? When was that approved? 2007. 2007. So we're working, so what, what's that, 15, 16 years on a plan, and we're in the process of updating that plan. We had a meeting last week. How, could you kind of recap the high points of how that meeting went? Sure. So um, a big part of the comprehensive plan is getting public input and arguably the most important part to see where the folks that live here want their city to grow. And so last week's meeting was to solicit comment and input on our current draft of the comprehensive plan. And um, we had, for when I thought, a pretty good turnout. Um, yeah, and, I thought uh, it was. We had uh, live streamed on, on our YouTube channel. And so uh, where we're at with it right now, we've hired a consultant. And there's been an odd gap uh, with COVID and then unfortunate passing of the previous planning director, Keith Briley, uh, about two-year gap in process of the comprehensive plan. So... We do expect some pretty major updates to the plan where we're at now. Um, and so we're trying to get it out to the public to see what folks think about it. And um, it's available on our website, uh, at the city's website. And uh, it, this was the first of a couple more hearings I expect to have for a revised document. And so you, this is a process, but that's kind of first getting back on track from the COVID and um, with Keith uh, passing away and so forth. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the impact of 269, of Interstate 269. And... Um, how it was really kind of a big domino that fell when 269 was cut through and then the Getwell and Mackinville exits and corridors were established. From a planning standpoint, what does that really, uh, what kind of impact does that have for a community? Uh, it's a huge impact. Um, you know, it's an impact on land use. Uh, interstate interchanges change the land use dramatically just immediately as soon as they open. And uh, from the city's perspective, what we need to be ready for is um, forecasting our utilities, our road network, our water and sewer network, you know, equipping our law enforcement to be able to handle an interstate, another one. For the city to plan for an interstate, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. It's a, it's a pretty drastic change that happened as, as soon as an interstate opened. It can affect land use in a good or bad way, depending on who you're talking to. And so it, it's a big part of my job is planning for what goes on on the interstate. 
So talking about planning a little bit more, because I feel like we I've, I've seen this before. People say this before that it seems like the infrastructure is always behind. Like, why wasn't this planned out better? Like, why is this? Why are the streets not widened prior to a development? Can you dive into that a little bit, like as to why that kind of phenomenon occurs, or have you ever seen a situation where you know it was it was it was planned out in that way and expected? Sure. So the obvious answer is money. Um, tax infrastructure is not there to build the wide roads without the development being there. And I have seen it where, you know, the, the roads widened or put in first. You know, in Horn Lake's case, Interstate Boulevard and Nail Road was installed. And that's a whole other story. But it's uh, it's there. It was it was put in there prior to development. Um, in Hernando's case, Mackinville Road was widened and the Interstate Exchange was, was built. And there's no development on it. It's, it's a fully improved five-lane cross-section road with no development um, except for a new high school that's being under construction right now. So it happens both ways. In a perfect world, the water, sewer, and infrastructure, everything would be in place prior to development. Uh, But the reality is we rely on developers to build a lot of that infrastructure as we expand. So could you talk about, I don't think the the viewers may understand that when a developer develops a subdivision, they're responsible for the the roads in there, the the water, the sewer. Could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So whenever a, a subdivision comes in, um, developers 100% responsible for the road network, for the sewer, water, street gas infrastructure, signs. street signs, street lights. Um, naming the streets. Yeah, for better or for worse, <laughs> but naming the streets. So, yeah, they put it all in. And even the road, you know, it goes in the first lift. We have a letter of credit in our department that um, guarantees that they'll put on that second lift once construction is done. And we're, we're left with a well-maintained new street to uh, go on the city's roll. Typically, we take a bond out until they, till we accept the proper the project, and then and then if it's up to code, we take it over, and then repairs from that point on is the city's responsibility. So we usually have a two year maintenance bond after the fact. So we um, we record the subdivision, they'll put in all the infrastructure, they do their second lift, and then we'll hold a bond for two additional years for a reduced amount for any unexpected failures or stuff that the city may not have expected when we first accepted it. So we have certain levels of protection in there throughout the process. I have I have a subdivision in my ward that is a private street or whatever, and so, that, so they are responsible for their own maintenance of their streets. And it's, I don't think some of the people bought property there knowing that, and so it's, I think it's been a little frustrating for them. But. Sure. Additionally, I think a lot of times when, when people think of planning, they you, you can look throughout our city and tell that there are buildings that are probably considered historic, Right. They're, they're they're older. There's there's buildings that were built in the 70s or 80s and there's ones that were built, you know, more recently. So there's not necessarily a cohesive architectural look to the city. Uh, but what has the city done and, and what does your uh, department do to kind of ensure that going forward, you kind of see more of a consistent architectural standard? Sure. So um, in two parts of the city, uh, we have the historic district, of course, and all the various parts of the historic district um, have their own set of rules. And so, you know, I'm, I feel very blessed to be a planner in a town that has a historic town square and a downtown. Um, it's a lot of places trying to achieve that after the fact, and it's really hard to do. So the historic district has its uh, historic preservation commission who does a great job of regulating any and all changes to that historic district. So to keep it cohesive and all the same and to characters is their job. And then outside the historic district, the city's adopted design regulations. And so any new building going forward or any major renovation of an existing building, it's got to meet those design regulations. You know, that's day to day. That's what our department does is mostly building department decisions and design regulation uh, decisions of commercial development we have going on. That's that's really what takes a lot of time. When you think about what we ha- what the city has going on currently from a development standpoint, 
kind of list off some of the things that y'all are doing currently, just the, whether it's the name of the project or the business or whatever might be going on. Like, I mean, it's going to be a long list because I just want people to hear how much you guys are taking on. This is with a staff of, you're only talking a handful of folks um, for our city that are, that are taking on this list of projects here. Sure. So um, to start with commerce, we've had the new Trustmark bank under construction recently completed. Uh, Starbucks is under construction. Uh, the convenience store did a major renovation that's still under construction. Whataburger is in the development stage process of the lot um, that everyone's familiar with across from the existing co- convenience store at McCracken and Commerce Street. We have three hotels uh, under review, two of which are getting close to permitting, and uh, one which is still in the review process. There's several new developments on uh, McInvale Road South. There's a car wash, a new commercial development, uh, another convenience store, which we hear quite a lot. And uh, I'm glad you all had me on because there's so much to talk about with, with new development. I know it's easy to say the city made a decision and yes or no, it's being built, but I'm glad uh, we get our chance to voice that there's so much review that goes on each of these projects to ensure this is quality development all the way down to measuring the tree sizes uh, for the final stage of landscaping that goes in, um, the color of the striping on the parking lots. There's, there's lots of little details that I hope Hernando can appreciate after the fact that we, we do take, have our eye on and are watching and are meeting our design regs. And, you know, we're a growing city. And I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. And I, I hope everyone knows that we've got an eye to make sure it's growing with the quality. You didn't mention the Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, it's under review. Uh, we recently approved a variance for a setback um, at Ice Plant and Commerce. And um, we've kicked back the first iteration of their design. It wasn't going to work. So they're, they're redrawing. So, Austin, it may be important to kind of explain that process. So say like the Dunkin' Donuts property where they're looking, I think, I think Dale Wilson, them on that piece of property. Correct. Could ice you, plant and uh, yeah, commerce. Ice plant commerce right there. Could you explain that process of, hey, so now we know that Dunkin' Donuts is interested in that property. How does that process go to the eventually building a building and having a grand opening? How does that process through your office work? Sure. So I'll start from the beginning. Originally, that was three lots where the old antique store was, was um, located. And uh, the three lots were combined. And that sounds like a quick thing to say, but that took almost three months uh, with the approval process. Because there's timelines, which you have to do um, with the, you know, getting a plot approval and having a public hearing and so forth. Yep. And coming from in front of y'all and getting it approved and recorded. And so the lots combined into one. As you know, it's an odd shaped lot. It's got three front doors, um, Ice Plant Valley and, and Commerce. And um, or not valid. I was told one time that was a gas station, maybe years and years ago. At one point, I don't know, but that's what someone told me one time. I wouldn't doubt it. But, um, so we went through and approved through the planning commission of setback variance because uh, the building is going to be situated in a way that violates front yard setback. You know, another sixty day process. Um, so now we've are at the point where we're doing design review. They've submitted building renderings and a site plan, and that's when we're checking sidewalks, um, green space, landscaping and landscaping sizes, uh, building elevations, lighting. And like I said, the first iteration came through and it's been kicked back. It's not something I would could approve. Right. So so you're taking their plan and comparing it to what our ordinances and what our very I mean, uh, our ordinances and our plan looks like. And then you kick it back and they come back into it. Y'all work that process out and then you give them permits to start building and so forth eventually. Yep. And that's the tough part. That's the day to day people don't really see is that kickback and that developer fighting say oh no this should be allowed because of x y and z and i say well no this is why and so that you know those conversations behind the scenes is really what takes the time i know people like to see the public hearings and packed rooms with hot discussions on zoning um, but that's really a small small drop in the bucket 
And I think that's really what makes a good planner. I think, I mean, in the past, we've had issues, I think, in those conversations and people, uh, not, not, not that they didn't do a good job, but maybe they didn't show somebody the right way to do something or didn't explain to them a, a way they could do it where they can meet the ordinance and so forth. And I think sometimes the developers get frustrated because they have money tied up in projects and things. And so I want to commend you for I, I've got nothing but positive from you as we, you know, we, since you've been in charge of the department. So I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Communication is key. Even if it's not the right answer. A lot of times people just want well, to know. Well, it's a way to deliver it, too. I think so. there's a lot of the issue we've sure. had in the past. And I think that when we were going through the interview process and trying to you know consider who the next planner would be for the city one of the answers that you gave to one of my questions was was really interesting to me because i was saying well you know uh how do you tell people no because i'm i'm in sales as a general profession you try to avoid that word uh because that's that's a that's an uh, an impasse that you've that you've met and you really said well usually the answer is very rarely no there's always a way to kind of work around and it's my job to kind of show people what that path would be and sometimes it's going to be a very long path it may be something that l- legally is going to take a very long time to get done but it could it could possibly be done with multiple approvals or whatever it might be sure but that's really kind of more of what your role is is not to tell people no you can't do this or yes you can do this uh but here's the path if you want to if you want to go that route here's another one that may be easier easier to accomplish but it may not reach all your goals um so that was really to me kind of a you know development forward a way of approaching uh, this position sure yeah we, we're here to facilitate a process and you know, our process is sometimes a little bit complicated, but our job is to get folks through it. Austin, what do you, from a planning perspective, what do you think is our biggest challenge as a city? In the first six months I was on the job, I would have said infrastructure. You know, our water and sewer system uh, was challenged at first. I thought y'all did a good job with leveraging the ARPA funds um, to get our water caught up quickly. I was about the quickest improvement to a water system I've ever seen uh, with Jaybird water plant being improved. And um, now that the water and infrastructure has been you know, satisfied for the, the immediate term and then the water plant will be the long-term solution. I really think the next challenge we're going to have is um, keeping up with our road network. You know, we've made major strides with the MPO and McInville's overlay and then the board's adopted uh, overlay plan this year, which I've been told is the most in history. Mm, I think so. Yeah. So that that's going to be the next term. The next immediate challenge we're going to have is with newly paved roads, it's, that generates requests for other, other roads. And so uh, that road network is going to have to be kept up with. I know Ben sees this a lot. Do you see a lot of issues with uh, the areas that we annexed that were once county, maybe approved a project in the county, and now the city has it, and maybe we have some different regulations and stuff? Is that you ever run issues with that? Yes. You know, it can be something as simple as a sidewalk was required, mm-hmm. and, or it is required now, wasn't previously, to something more complex of utility locations. You know, the city's utilities are in the streets, water and sewers in the street, and the county is exclusive of right of way. So, Physically, where the water park pipes are is different. And that's pretty much that's a huge change. So we have a great, great working relationship with the county planning department and uh, with the supervisors. And so now when we have new developments within a mile of our jurisdiction, I get to make a comment on okay. what we would think and, and vice versa. If they have something within a mile, you know, they, they make comment on it as well. So we're I think together. typically when like a, they have an area zoned agriculture, when we annex at it, we kind of keep that, that designation in the past. That's correct. All right. Well, anything else you got, Chad? Well, you right, got we we got to ask them the big. So we get we got our weaknesses. Now we need our strengths. What's the oh, best? The, what's the what's the biggest strength we have for, uh, from a planning perspective as a city? So that's interesting. You know, we have a pretty good turnout for the comprehensive plan meeting. And our last planning commission meeting generated a lot of public input, as y'all know, of some of our zoning applications. And um, you know, sometimes you can sit in these meetings and get really bogged down, a little bit frustrated because 
you're there for a few hours and listening. But this is going to sound crazy, but one of the biggest strengths we have in Hernando is that people are showing up to these meetings and we've got public input and people care. And so we've got a tight knit community of folks that really care about their community, how it's growing. And, you know, it generates some late nights and some frustrating phone calls sometimes. But the fact that they're calling and coming to these meetings means something. So I think that's a big strength we've got with our community and our department as a whole and something I can benefit from. I think our, our community is a little different. I think, and you may help me elaborate on this more, but Hernando was, is the oldest city in Hernando, and I think it was established around the railroad and the courthouse where most of the other cities kind of were able to, you know, grow and expand, and, and their, their city was really planned around the interstate and road systems, and so I think that's a challenge we always have, but we certainly have a great community involvement, and people, I get calls all the time, why, you know, why is a car wash here? Why are we building a hotel there? Why is mm-hmm. Mexican, another Mexican restaurant? And so... You know, the, the city doesn't control what type of business it is. We just control the way it looks and, and, and if it meets the zoning, basically. And so that's that's right. So I guess that's a dumb way to put it. But that's that's the way we that's what we do. And, you know, we're not a communist country. We can't you know, we want to put a, you know, but Ben's he's supposed to be dropping the, the Chick-fil-A when we're getting the Chick-fil-A. But he hadn't done it yet. Man, so I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I know. I know. Breaking just, news. Listen, just because I'm from Georgia doesn't mean I have all the information on Chick-fil-A, but I, <laughs> I will try to get some for sure. But, well, Austin, we appreciate you joining yeah, us thank today. Thank you all for having me. Um, folks, I'll Does tell he, you. Do you have anything you want to finish with? That's the, that's the old investigator question. Is there any question I didn't ask that you want to answer? No. You know, our department's an open door. We're here. We work for the public, and um, we're here to help facilitate these processes and planning processes. So if you got a question about, you know, a large-scale hotel or how to build your fence, come see us. I can tell you that, uh, you know, for anybody out there listening, uh, that when I go to drop my kids off uh, in the morning, usually they get dropped off between 7 and 7.30. Austin's truck's already there um, at his office ready to go. So he wakes up early. He gets after it early. Um, he definitely puts the time in and puts the hours in. And, you know, he's somebody that lives in this community, and that was really important for us when we were looking for a planner. We wanted somebody that had roots here, um, has worked in the county for a while, understands the dynamics, and, you know, is, do- is doing a great job with the resources that he has for sure. When's your next marathon? Uh, May. I've got Cincinnati in May and Chicago in October. I'm excited about the, uh, you know, we got the grant for the uh, extended sidewalk or uh, walking, biking, biking trails. There. I run through there a lot, so I'm excited about it. Well, that. you know, that's, I'm glad you said that because the NPO is a big, great partner with us with all these, the federal money we get coming in. So it's 80-20 money on these projects. So Also, it may, it may help to explain what the NPO is. Some people may not know what that is. So yeah, NPO is a metropolitan planning organization, and um nuts and bolts of it is that's how the federal funds f- flow through the federal government to MDOT to us so that we can take advantage of 80-20 split. So it's 80% federally funded, 20% locally funded. And um, three basic pots of money. We have overlay funds, which we're utilizing for McInvale's overlay this year. Transportation alternative funds, which are bike lanes, sidewalks. We have two active projects, Nesbitt Square and Mount Pleasant bike lanes. And then we have new construction funds, which we used for the uh, McInvale interchange. So big way to get things done quickly because of the 80-20 cost share. And um, yeah, we're thankful to have that opportunity. And that's members from, I believe it's Arkansas, Mississippi, and, and uh, excuse me, in Tennessee, correct? Correct. Yeah. Each We have a seat at the board. City of Hernando has the same seat as City of Memphis. You know, our funds are a little bit different since we flow through Mississippi. The DeSoto County jurisdictions have our pot of money, but that's correct. That's how, that's how we get it. Ben, you got any more questions? No, I guess just when, the next time you have a marathon, let me know. I will I will virtually run it. And by that, I mean I will be on my computer while you're running. All right. So <laughs> I, you know. if, you, if you ever see me running, you know there's something wrong. Somebody's chasing. That's a Ben Some, Piper somebody's... joke. That's about close it gets to making a joke right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's like...
All right, and y'all, that was Austin Cardozi, uh, the the planning director for the city of Hernando, joining us here on the Boardroom Podcast with Chad Wicker and Ben Piper. Uh, We will have our next episode coming to you in March. Uh, I know you're already excited about it. We're looking forward to it. So we will see y'all very soon again here on the Boardroom Podcast. Thank you for joining us for an episode of the Boardroom Podcast, presented by People for a Better DeSoto County. I hope we were able to inform you and give you some additional insight on how your local government works. Stay engaged. Local government is the closest to the people.